Well, do you like that? Do you like this set? Yeah, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, well, we're glad you're here as we, we launch a new series. Back by popular demand, by the way, is our You've Been Gifted cards. We have those available for you for some of you who maybe haven't been here before. Every, for the last few Christmas seasons, we've been actually putting out You've Been Gifted cards, just a little card that you can hand people. And it's just for us as a church to do random acts of generosity and so how that looks like might be that you're in line at a store and you offer to pay for somebody's items and you hand them this card. You've been gifted just a reminder of what Christmas is all about, uh, God's gift to us. And so you can do that. Or if you're in the drive up, somebody, or if you want to bake some cookies and take it to a neighbor, you could give them a card. Or if you want to live, leave a super, super generous tip you can leave a card you've been gifted, and again, just kind of reminds people of what the, the meaning of Christmas uh, really is about. It all points back to God's gift of Jesus to us. So if you want to jump in on that, there's cards available. Grab those on your way out, and I know some people have already been asking about them, so we wanted to do that again this year. We just got off of a series called Epic, and in Epic, we actually tried to connect the dots all the way from creation to the New Testament. And so we finished that last Sunday. We finished with the prophet Daniel. And today we're going to start in Matthew, basically Matthew chapter 2, part of the Christmas story. But if you remember how we went through that Daniel was taken when Israel was conquered by Babylon. And we talked about how the world calendar and history in the world, how that impacted uh, the things that were happening in Israel and how the Old Testament documents all those things. And so there was a time after Solomon, King Solomon, who was David's son, uh, that the, the Israel split into two kingdoms, north and south, just like our civil war. And the northern kingdom was con uh, conquered by Assyria, but not the southern kingdom, which was, was called Judah and had Jerusalem as its capital. But then when the Babylonians conquered Assyria, they came down and conquered the southern kingdom and took a bunch of captives. Daniel was one of those captives, and he was taken, and he, God used him to impact two empires. And so actually, Matthew sums some of this up in, as he gives the genealogy of Christ. And the reason Matthew starts off in chapter 1 with the genealogy is he's tying Jesus' birth to all this stuff that happened back in the Old Testament, that promise that the world would be blessed through Abraham, that the one who came would be part, would be the, the son of David, and so all that. And here's what he says in Matthew 1, verse 17. It says, Wrapping up, after he lists all these people, he says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. So there Matthew is bringing it all together to say, Hey, this is how all this fits with the anticipated coming of the Messiah. Now, and, but remember Daniel also, he prophesied about world kingdoms, and, and he was there in Babylon, uh, and he was interacting with Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the greatest king of Babylon, and then he also predicted, though, to Nebuchadnezzar that another kingdom would take over, and that would be 
the Persian Empire, which happened at the, toward the end of Daniel's life. But that wasn't all. Daniel also prophesied that there would be another kingdom that would take over, conquer Persia, and he named that kingdom, and then that kingdom would be Greece, and that was led, of course, by Alexander the Great. He also said that that leader would die young, and that four leaders would come up to take his place, and of course, from history, we know that Alexander the Great died when he was around 33 years old. He was actually, even though he's from Greece, he was actually in Babylon, the capital, Nebuchadnezzar's old palace, as we're Alexander the Great was when he died. And Daniel named that future, which was after his death, who, that it would be Greece. And then these four, it would be taken over by this one king would die and four would take over. And we know that from history that when Alexander the Great died, that he didn't have an heir to the throne. And because of that, eventually his four generals took over and they had different points of the compass, different areas of Alexander's kingdom that they controlled. Then Daniel said another world power was going to come and take over. He didn't name this one, and that was the Roman Empire. So, And the Roman Empire takes us up to the birth of Christ, and we remember that the people, why is the New Testament written in Greek? Because of Alexander the Great. Then even Rome spoke Greek. That was the common language then because of Alexander the Great and the, the, Greek, the Greek Empire. But then when Rome took over, they, of course, when they took over all four kingdoms that was split by the Greek Empire, that also included Israel, what we know today as Israel, or Palestine, and Judah, and Jerusalem. And then about the time leading up to the time of Christ, Rome appointed a leader of Judah, a king, if you were, that was appointed by Rome, and that was a person called Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was known for uh, a lot of building projects, many of which we can see today. Uh, he built a city, named it after Caesar, called uh, Caesarea or Caesarea Maritima. And uh, that's, that's not it, by the way. That's actually Herodian, and, uh, which was a fortress that he, he built. He also built this fortress. It's called Masada. And, uh, and you can go and visit that today. I have. It's amazing. This is Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea, because there's another Caesarea Philippi. But anyway, he built that. You can go visit that today. Actually, it's one of my favorite places because my wife and I had our picture taken there when we visited. It's actually on the, the thing, my opening page of my Facebook. And some of you are wondering, why have you ever changed that picture? Because I like it. All right? So that's why. And so, and then I, I think that's it. Oh, and then we also hear it. Herod rebuilt the temple. Remember Solomon built the first temple, and we talked about when Babylon came over, finally they eventually destroyed the temple, tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Then when, when Medo-Persia took over Pers during the Persian Empire, the Israel people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and built a second temple wasn't nearly as impressive as Solomon's temple. Well, now Herod, leading up to the first century, he greatly expanded the temple mount by building this retaining wall that we call the Wailing Wall that is famous today, but nothing of the temples left because the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD after the time of Christ. But anyway, you can see all these works from Herod the Great today. And that's the Jerusalem that was around when Jesus 
was born in Bethlehem, which is about six miles south of Jerusalem. So if you were here through the last several weeks, I hope that that's connected the dots, has it? Okay, for about 25%, that connected the dots. And, and if you haven't been here, you can just forget about everything I just said. Today, we're talking about Christmas. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 2, and there's some significant things that I want us to see as we work through this. I'm actually going to read the entire chapter, and I know for some of you, you, you probably hate that, and some of you probably love it like story time, but here it goes, so hang on, try to tune. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, beginning... In verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, they say it that way because there's actually another Bethlehem, but this is the one, anyway. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, heard, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, quote, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to, fill, this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. When, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, 
Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. But when he, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warmed, warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So as we look at this story, really, first I want to just cover three quick questions to help us tie this together and understand what's happening in Matthew chapter 2. First is who were the magi? Who, who were they exactly? The wise men, the magi, the kings from the east are called different things. Who were they? Secondly, uh, how did they know to come? I mean, how how'd they put all that together? How did they find Jesus? And then third, what, what does that have to do with us today? What's it mean to us? So first, who are the magi? Magi probably the closest word that we can use today, wise men, magi, would be astrologers, but that, that doesn't really do justice because astrologers in that day were actually studying the stars. They were the scientific crowd of the day back then. They were the intellectuals. They were the ones who could predict that things were going to happen in the celestial bodies. They, they kind of knew what was going on, and they advised kings. They were from the east, and so we know that that points back to Persia or, or Babylon, and there are connections between them and the Chaldeans. And this actually connects back to Daniel, who we finished up last week with. Daniel, remember when he was deported into Babylon, he and three of his friends were drafted into the service of, ki of the king to be in this class of people, these intellectuals, these wise men, these magi, these astrologers, these people. So Daniel has a connection. It's kind of interesting because astrology is always looked down on in the Bible, except in Old Testament, New Testament, except where Daniel, when he was drafted into this class of people, he had no choice in that. That's the only time it's a positive connection. But these people were part of that class. Now, the thing about the Magi is there's a whole bunch of misconceptions about Jesus. And some of it's from tradition and some of it's people have just uh, drifted so far away from the truth of Scripture, things get confused. And, and the newer generations, it's becoming worse and worse. As a matter of fact, I have a little illustration for you about if you could imagine how kids, how they hear the Christmas story and how they get that wrong. This is a a little video of kids telling the Christmas story the way they see it and their parents trying to act it out. You ready? Yeah. All right, here you go. Um, Mary was washing her dishes. Mary was um, doing laundry outside and then an angel appeared an angel appeared, but nobody could see it because only she, because, um, because she had to put on these special glasses that made her see it, and nobody could see the angel unless I put the glasses on. I think that Mary would have, like, maybe fell back. <laughs> yeah. 
And she told and him that told you're going to have a baby. And Mary said, no, I'm not going to have a baby. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Joseph said, what on earth are you doing? Are you just talking to yourself or something? Are you crazy? I don't think you're going to have a baby. Mary is not lying. She really will have a baby, and you will have it in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And then Pop went to baby, and then the angel said, you will name me Jesus. I think Mary rode on a donkey. Hello, my name is Deborah the donkey. Hee-haw! stable out back that you can stay in? Well, thank you. We at least need some shelter. You're welcome. Now go away. It was probably stinky with a lot of animals inside, like cows and sheep and donkey. And probably horses, uh, pigs, chickens. Then the angels went to the shepherds and and the shepherds was, were out with their sheep, and the angels appeared, and the shepherds were scared. <laughs> yes. I think the shepherds were having a tickle fight. Ma'am, ma'am, a sheep bad. Ba, ba. Ba, ba. I'm a wolf. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Don't eat me. I'm gonna eat you up. I'm gonna eat your face up. Stop it. He was born in a tiny, um, tiny, a tiny thing. The star was going to help the wise men find what, where Jesus was, and so the wise men went and followed the star, and then they eventually found Jesus. And so they went to the shed and they got some presents, which was a hippo, some wipes and diapers, some milk, some shoes. Um, Jordans. <laughs> I'd give him a teddy bear and a blanket and an Xbox. They were dancing to Uptune from you, Uptune from you. They probably were like, oh, praise God for um, this wonderful baby. He is handsome. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> So much sunshine Silent night, holy night, always bright. I don't know the rest of it. Me neither. 
This baby is gonna change the world. Best baby ever. I just love him so much. So, so if we want to get the story right, we need to know, first of all, that tradition says three wise men. We don't know that. Uh, that's tradition, and it may just be simply based on the three types of gifts that were given. Uh, tradition has it about the sixth century, then all of a sudden the, the tradition assigned names to the three wise men. But again, because it's not in the Bible, we don't know whether that tradition is accurate or not regarding the number three. What we do know is there would have been a, a sizable entourage traveling with the plurality magi that came. So we know there are more than one, they came, but a huge entourage. Why? Because they traveled 900 miles around the Arabian Desert, along the Fertile Crescent, from the east, modern-day Persia, Iran, all the way down to Israel. So the other misconception that we have a lot is, is that they, they were there the night, that the wise men were there the night of the birth in the stable. They actually came later. We don't know exactly how long later, but days or months later. And we know that because First of all, they saw this, the star. The star seemed to be timed up with maybe the birth of Christ. But when they get there to Bethlehem and they find Jesus, he's not, in a, a, he's not in a stable anymore. He's not laying in a feeding trough anymore. Since then, Joseph has been able to find a more, a better accommodations. Remember, they showed up. It was a rush time because there was a decree from the Caesar Augustus that everybody be numbered. They had to go to their hometown to do that, well, everybody else is doing the same thing that Joseph and Mary are doing to go register in the whole time. Well, the, then the town is full. There's no room. They end up in a stable. But after that night, surely in the next day or two, we would expect that Joseph could find some better accommodations. And he did. They're in a house, although still probably humble. And we know they're humble accommodations because we know that they were poor and we know that because when it came the time to give the sacrifice which the law required for a firstborn male that uh, that, that was normally a lamb unless they were poor it would be uh, two pigeons for example or two doves and and that that was the sacrifice that was made as accommodation for people who didn't have much and so we know that, that whatever circumstances they were in it was humble but the, the Magi are traced back to these Chaldeans. There's a connection with Daniel and what he did, and these Magi who came, it's the same class of people, albeit it's about four or five hundred years later after Daniel when they show up and make their presence known. And one of the things is we've got to realize is we talked about how in the Bible it starts out with a global perspective, and then it narrowed down to one guy, Abraham, through which the whole world would be blessed, and then his people, and that a nation would come to him, through him that was special to God, the Jewish people, and out of the Jewish people would come the Messiah through the line of the King of David. Remember all that stuff? All that's coming together. But what I want us to remember here is this global perspective that God announces the birth of His Son, of the King of the Jewish people, to non-Jewish people. It's global in perspective. And it's really interesting, we're actually going to talk about this a little more, that the people who should have been expecting Jesus, they miss it. And, but God reveals this to people outside of the Hebrew 
people and the Jewish faith, and they come and they, they come to recognize the birth of Christ. Now, the second question is, well, how'd they find Jesus? I mean, we know there's a star, but how did they know what that meant? How did they know that a star, this astrological event that they somehow see that, that there's no great physical, natural explanation for, although people have tried to do that, and especially there isn't from uh, Jerusalem to Bethlehem, makes no sense, but some miraculous cosmic event that causes them to say, well, there's a star. Well, what we know about these people, and we talked about this last week with Daniel, they had access to Jewish writings. These guys would have had access to Daniel's book, and probably Jeremiah's book that Daniel had access to, because he tells us he's reading Jeremiah, and probably also the book of Moses, the, the books of Moses, which are the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, they would have had that. We know that because there is still a large um, population of Jewish people in Babylon that were left over from that exile that did not return to Israel. So they had access to these prophecies talking about the future. But there's no specific prophecy about a star. Although in Moses' writings, in the Pentateuch, in a book called Numbers that we usually skip over and don't read it, there's actually a non-godly prophet named Balaam who is recruited by a foreign king to put a curse on the people of Israel before they go in to the promised land, before they go in the conquest. But he doesn't because God gives him an actual true um, prophecy, and he keeps saying good things, and it really frustrates the guy. But part of what Balaam said that's recorded by Moses is this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. So, you know, we, there is some things about a star, but really not enough to tell you what you want to know. But then there's Isaiah's prophecies, who again existed before Daniel. Daniel probably had access to that. And these guys, 400 years later, probably have access to Isaiah's book. And here's what Isaiah says in 714, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the Messiah would not just be a king, but more than that. Isaiah 9.6 says, and we used to see this on Christmas cards and stuff, but for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So with access to these writings, they know, even though maybe it's not so clear with the star, they know that this one to be born, where the scepter was a king's scepter, this one coming is more than a king. He's eternal God, everlasting father. I mean, this mighty God, this is huge. They realize this is bigger than us. And so they understand all that. And we don't know exactly what information they had. We know they could have had access to all that that I just mentioned, and Daniel's prophecies. By the way, you know, Daniel predicted not only, you know, all these secession of nations 
and, and that the Messiah would come in that secession of nations. But don't know exactly what they have, but ultimately at Scripture, even when they make their way all the way to Jerusalem, the capital, they show up, they go to the palace, they're looking for the one who's been born king. And Herod the king comes out and says, a baby born, oh, huh? well, they, and they soon realize it's not happening in the palace. And so then he asks his religious leaders where, and they say, oh, this is all supposed to happen in Bethlehem, six miles away. You see, and then so they go, and, and the Herod's keenly aware of what's happening because he's the king of the Jews, and so he's very interested in what's going on. But even then, it's Scripture that has to point them to Jesus, even when they were so close. And really, it's the same thing today. How do we come to find Jesus? How do we today know about Jesus? It's Scripture. That's why Scripture is so important. That's why we say sola scriptura, Scripture alone. That's why it's key that we intake Scripture, God's truth, the Bible, Old and New Testaments. That's why it's important for us to teach our kids Scripture so they get the story right, so they understand God's truth, so they don't get it caught up in sentimentality and tradition and, you know, everything just gets watered down, but they understand what really happened. This is a record of history, and we need it. Only God's Word can point us to a Savior. So then that brings us to the third question. We saw who were they and how they find Jesus through Scripture. Well, what's it mean to us? Well, we can learn a lot from the Magi. First of all, you know, they see this star or some sign and they're convinced somehow from God that this is happening, that all this anticipation for the coming King of the Jews that would have global impact is happening now. But these guys who were not Jewish, were not God followers that we know of, they drop everything and they head on a 900-mile journey. This is over a year commitment that they're going to be on the road to get there and get back. Judea, where they they think that he is, that they know that he is. So they're heading around the Arabian desert, following the Fertile Crescent. They're on the road all this way. They drop everything because they realize this is bigger than us. This has global implications. And not only that, when they get there, what do they do? Remember, this is the intelligentsia. These are the scientists of the day. What do they do? They prostrate themselves before Jesus. That means they put their face to the ground, their foreheads on the ground. Before Jesus, they they humble themselves before Christ. And that's not all. Then they present gifts at great cost, gold, frankincense, myrrh. These, These aren't baby gifts, right? These aren't rattlers and diapers and teething rings. Gold, frankincense, these are kingly gifts that they're giving. And then not only that, they kind of risk everything. Not only do they take action, but at at the time this story's over, their story, they risk everything in that they don't do what Herod, the king of the country they're in, tells them to do. They don't report back to him. And they leave another way. At great personal risk, 
They do this for Jesus. And when we start thinking about that, it's like, well, where are we at on these things? You know, what's going on with us? I, this is the real Christmas. This is a historical event that happened. And we need to get back to Scripture that tells us exactly the way that it happened. Can, can, I, can I throw out a confession to you? Because some of you, when I say this, you're going to think, man, you are a humbug. So like one person wants me to confess, but the rest, I don't want to hear it, Kevin, please. I, I, don't, I don't know what you've done. I do not want to hear it. Here it is. I don't like secular Christmas music. You know, Christmas music, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it because I know a lot of you do and all that, and that's great. I just don't like, there's no songs about Christmas I like. If they don't mention Jesus, they don't mention the wise men, the star, the angels, the she- you know, something about the true Christmas story, I don't like it. To me, it's just sentimentality wrapped up with some notes. I mean, I just don't care for it at all. Again, I know not all of you agree. I get that. Probably none of you agree. I understand. Not downing it. I'm just saying, for me, when I hear songs about Christmas, I want to hear about my Savior. I want to hear about the actual, oh, see, second service. You get applause in second service sometimes. I want to hear about the actual guy that caused all of this to happen. I want to hear about him. And you don't. On a country station, you know, maybe a little bit. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing how you can, you want to hear some Christmas music, you know, has that happened to anybody? Are you in the Christmas spirit where you flip on the radio on your way shopping and, and you want to hear some Christmas music? Anybody or is it still too early? Yeah, usually about Thanksgiving. I mean, Black Friday, we're ready for Christmas music, right? And, and you can't hear anything. All you hear about is fires and snow and bells and sleigh rides and, you know. Santa Claus. I mean, I, it's just, I don't like it. Another pet peeve, because you guys aren't asking for this. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I, you know what really buzzed me out? Wrapping paper. You can't find any wrapping paper that has anything to do with the real Christmas. Does that, does that strike anybody as odd? I mean, you can't find wrapping paper with Jesus or the manger or the wise men or the shepherds, or any of that stuff. You cannot find wrapping paper, you know, maybe at a Christian bookstore if you special ordered it. I don't know, but you can't, you can't see this stuff in any of the stores I go to. I was looking yesterday with my wife, shopped in several stores, and she knows I have this pet peeve. I'm going, you know, I don't like any of this stuff. Get the one with the snowflake. Anyway, sorry, but the point is this. What we can learn from the wise men is a nine, they took action. They took Jesus seriously. They hadn't even met him yet. They traveled 900 miles. Most of us sitting, not everybody, most of us sitting here, we call ourselves Christians. What action have we taken to honor Christ? Lately, in the last week or two. What? They humbled themselves before Jesus. They went flat on their face before Jesus. 
in our busy lives when we're doing all this stuff and we got a lot going on, I get that. I'm the same way. We're busy, we're working, we're providing for our families, we're trying to get together with family. That's a good thing. Now, in this time of year, we're trying to buy gifts for family members. We're doing all this stuff. But when was the last time that we did anything in our life that truly said that we are humbled before God? That we see God as above us? That we do something because He is our King? When's the last time? What did that look like? They brought gifts. For us as believers, those of you who are believers, not everybody, but if you're a believer, hey, there's something about knowing everything we have, God has given us. Everything we have, actually, God owns it. And by giving God back what, what portion, some portion, some percentage, some fraction of what He gives us is just a way of us saying, God, I'm recognizing in a practical way, I'm taking action to recognize, God, that you have given me all this, that you really own it all, and I'm giving this portion back to you to just say, I know you own it, only because of you. And then they took action at personal risk. Remember last time we were talking about Daniel who impacted many world kings, two world powers, two empires, and he did that by walking the line between assimilation and isolation? He's living in a pagan world just like we are in a post-Christian world, and he doesn't assimilate, he doesn't look like everybody else, but he also doesn't isolate and wall himself off from everybody and not have any friends and coexist with people. He walks the line right in between that where he has friends like those who assimilate, but he uses those friendships to teach them about God, to point people to God. That's our purpose. The wise men, Daniel did it, and now even those wise men have done it by defying the orders of the king where they're, where they're at to go another way. They could have been killed for that. When's the last time we as believers have taken a risk for our Savior? We have a job and a mission and a purpose. When's the last time that that's cost us something? Practically, when? And what does that even look like today? You know, I shouldn't be so mad at the radio stations for playing whatever Christmas music they want because telling people what Christmas is all about is really not their jobs. That's my job. And if you're a believer, that's your job. I shouldn't be all bummed out at Christmas wrapping because it's not the wrapping paper company's job to explain the true meaning of Christmas. That's a Christian's job. What are you doing to impact the world for Christ? Earlier, AJ mentioned one way, you know, we have these, trying to impact, trying to raise the spiritual temperature through random gifts, but even that, that's, that's not the gospel. Well, AJ mentioned this, this weird thing that we're finding out statistically, that Christmas Eve 
Christmas Eve, of all the time in the year, Christmas Eve is the time that a non-believer would most likely come to church. That, that's a little weird to me in a way, Christmas Eve, because it seems like people have family and everything. And No, Christmas Eve is the one time of the year that non-believers are the most likely to come to church and hear really about what Christmas is all about. But they do that when they're invited by somebody they know. Sometimes that can be awkward. In extreme cases, it could cost us a friendship or, or mar our friendship. But when's the last time you've taken a risk for Jesus? I hope and I pray that we believers here at Grace Community would step up and take a risk to let our friends, our family, our community know what Christmas is all about, that a Savior was born, and He came in order to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, because a just and holy God has to punish sin, or there's no justice, and that's bad news for all of us because we've all done things against God. That's what the Bible calls sin. But in God's love, he provided a way. He allowed his son, who was sinless, to suffer and die and bleed out on a cross 2,000 years ago outside the gates of Jerusalem to pay for our sins. And the way that counts for us or anybody else is simply through faith. Not a bunch of religious stuff not doing a bunch of good deeds, not giving money, not going through religious rituals, putting all your trust in Christ and Christ alone, and you'll know you're sincere when you do that, when you want to follow Him with your life. Not when you're perfect, because we're never perfect, but we know we're sincere when we want to follow Him with our life after we've trusted Him.